and welcome to the Total Soccer Show. My name is Daryl Grove, and I'm joined by a man who loves that knockout round drama. Mm-hmm. His name is Taylor Rockwell. Hello. Hello, my friend. I oh. do indeed. So the round of 16 in the Women's World Cup yes, is... It's not just upon us, it's halfway through. It is. We have four games to review on we today's do. show. What's been the most dramatic so far? What's, mean, what's delivered the most knockout punch for the money? I mean, I think the most dramatic would be England-Cameroon, but maybe not oh. for like on-the-field yeah, uh, yeah, like yeah. quality of play reasons. This it's means we're f- going to have to talk about VAR later. Oh, 100% we are, because yeah. my view has changed a little bit. Not entirely, but okay. I, have, I have some thoughts on VAR. Right. I think the most dramatic game like in terms of the result and the like actual play was maybe uh, Norway-Australia or maybe france and who did France beat today? Well, P- France, Brazil. Brazil. There we go. Thank well, you. Please pick one. Uh, I'm going to go Norway, Australia. <laughs> Norway, Australia. It goes to penalties. There's some VAR in there. There's, there's some a disallowed goals. There's a red time. card. Yeah, yeah. I think. And then it's an upset. But it's kind of an upset that I think people felt was coming. It also felt to me like the the first proper dramatic mm-hmm. knockout game because Germany really took care of Nigeria. Yeah pretty fast right mm-hmm. it was 2-0 pretty, pretty quickly and it, I was watching it I was like oh no the drama's gone yeah pretty much right do you want to start there yeah let's start with Germany Nigeria right. um, in the 20th minute mm-hmm. it's an Alexandra Pop header yes from a corner it's weirdly predictable mm-hmm. you could have guessed that Alexandra Pop would be scoring headers from corners in the knockout rounds see but the thing there is that if you can guess it then it probably should have been a thing that people were defending against yeah and Nigeria kind of weren't well let's talk about Nigeria's defending then I would argue that they're defending in a zone mm-hmm. um, but the zone didn't quite attack the ball enough Yes, yeah? I think that's 100% true. Right? Yeah. And then if you defend in a zone, you're not marking the player. And yep. that's why Pop, basically when you watch this goal, it yep. looks like, oh, nobody's marking it. It's the classic like failure of zonal marking leads people to think it's a failure of man marking. Yes, yes, it is. and Or that's what people think. But it's also the case that when I first watched this, and this is where Daryl, the nuances of zonal marking is Daryl's expertise. Because <laughs> when I first watched this, uh, it looked for a moment like Nigeria switched off because there's some players who do try to track Pop a little bit. Yeah. But Daryl makes the point that, no, that's just them being like, oh, no, wait, she's leaving my zone and I can't track her anymore. That's the problem, and right? And it is the short, like the kind of negative side of the zonal. System. Yeah, and as Pop moves through yep. the zones, each pair is like, me, nope, you, me, no, to you, to me. Yeah. It's a Knight of the Roxbury situation. And, and then what actually should have happened mm-hmm. is when you're in a zone you're supposed to attack the ball right that's yep. the point is you're not distracted by trying to mark Alexandra Pop or any other player you can just attack the ball but Shula is at the front post yep. and the two players who maybe should have headed the ball away mm-hmm. she just she makes a jump at the ball and at least like knocks them off their balance a little bit so there's no way for Nigeria to to clear the ball right. and that's why and then Alexandra Pop is there mm-hmm. but there is a tiny bit of drama here there there's, is there is VAR, VAR on this one yeah. Hoot uh, is standing in an offside position when uh, Pop gets the header, yep. not when the corner is taken. Key point there. Yeah. Um, and standing as we've established in this Gold Cup, as happened with Carly Lloyd and as happened with Sam Kerr you mean World in the Cup. tournament. Uh, see, what did I say? Gold Cup's the other one. Oh, boy. I'm all over the place. <laughs> uh, but as happened with those two uh, players in their, in their respective games, yeah. simply being in an offside position does not mean that you're actively involved in the play. I think the yes. replay was to make sure that who doesn't actively try to obstruct uh, any sort of vision or anything? Or is it, yeah, in the line yeah. of in the line of sight for um, Nadozi. Yeah. The key thing is, and I know you, you spotted this as well, mm-hmm. right? Before Pop actually heads the ball, yeah. Nadozi moves Hoot out the way. Yes. So I think Hoot was interfering, mm-hmm. but because Nadozi takes action and just gives you a little shove, which is kind of fine, right? Mm-hmm. You want to just if you're a keeper, you want to clear your area, make sure you're not obstructed. But because she's done that, yeah. when Pop heads the ball. Then Hoot is no longer in exactly. in a position to obstruct because Nadozi. when she kind of and she solved her own problem and created her own problem exactly yeah and and to clarify like yeah when when Hoot gets shoved out of the way it's when the corner is has been taken is in the air so you can't be offside on the corner so there she's not offside she's not active well she is actively yeah. involved in the play but it doesn't really matter because you can't be offside 
then by the time the header happens, she's out of the way. Yep. So even though she's in the area, is in an offside position, is not actively involved, I think, and especially given the way they've been calling it, correct decision for VAR. And there's a danger we've overanalyzed this mm-hmm. because the basis is Alexandra Pop, yeah. very good in the air. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 1-0 yeah. Germany in the 20th minute. And then, and then. in the 27th minute, mm-hmm. there's that penalty kick. Yeah. It is, this is not pretty. It's not, especially because it's, uh, no, forgive my pronunciation again, but like Nwabwoku, I, I think, think so, yeah. uh, she's the one who's dispo- dispossessed in the beginning of By this. By Alexandra Pop? I- indeed. Involved again. And then basically gets back into a position in the box to make a play on the ball, goes to clear it, whiffs slash barely touches the ball, and instead uh, makes uh, a lot of contact with Australia's... Uh, Germany's... Oh, Ger- why do I keep doing this? Man, I'm all over the place. we have a lot of games yeah, to talk all right, about today. Right, I'm going to focus up. Here we with go. My favorite German player, yes. Lena Magul. There we go. It's Lena Magul who sort of takes oh, the... that's right. Because you were nervous of this missed clearance from Nuoboku. Even and watching it in studio, rewatching it again in studio, Daryl was nervous was that Mugul was going to have to be subbed yeah. out. I was like, you know, this game's she already happened. She did sub out later, right? Mm-hmm. But I don't think for for this incident. No. I think she's still good. I yeah. think there's more Mugul to come in the tournament. I love her energy because she's yeah. she's all over the place. Uh, Germany made sorry, Germany made two halftime substitutions, and then uh, Mugul comes off in like the 67th. I okay, think all, all of right. those felt like we've got this in the bag. We're going to rest some players now. I will wipe some sweat from my brow then. <laughs> there um, you go. But there's more to come yes. because our air conditioning is broken. This is true. Here in the studio. <laughs> Hopefully just for today, yes. right? Hopefully just for today. We shall see. Um, so this, this Nuoboku... Nice and sweaty um, in here. This Nuoboku yeah. foul, um, it's sort of of a piece with the... We've seen some other free kicks... Sorry, penalty kicks mm-hmm. given where players have cleared the ball but then followed through and made contact. Engen on Tarant, uh, Engen from Norway on Tarant yeah, for France. Yep. Exactly. But this is maybe the most obvious of all of them yes. because she barely touches the ball, right? She yes. just, just she sort of scuffed the outside of the ball. Yes. But then most of the contact goes to Magul's leg. Yes. And so it's it's... Definite contact, definitely a bad challenge, so it would be a foul there. It also takes out Magul, so then because the ball hasn't been cleared, because there's very little contact, the ball's still playable, so then it also removes the ability of Magul to play the ball, which is still in the box, so yeah. even there, it's another foul. So there's no argument, right? No. And De Britz steps up, mm-hmm. puts the penalty away. 2-0 Germany after about 30 minutes. Yes. And, and this game was kind of over at this point. Yes, it was, but I do think that the other story, of like a, like a minor story, a subplot to this game, okay. and I would say the Australia-Norway game, I got it right this time, um, It is sort of teams that have been there before knowing how to operate and teams yeah. and teams that are like confident having been there before. Because I think you saw with these kind of mistakes from, uh, from Nigeria, from Nuwabuku, and then uh, the third goal as well is just a very, very bad giveaway from, I think, Allende. Do we have to talk about this goal? No. I suppose we, let, let's quickly okay. quickly mention it. So mm-hmm. Ayende, she's I think she started midfield, but she ended up playing left back. I'm assuming Noboko was subbed out because mm-hmm. she wasn't doing so well. Right. Um, Ayende sort of gets the ball cut under her feet, then tries to play it back to is it Ohale, um, yep. her, her centre back, and the pass is no good, and it's essentially a through ball for Shula, who just one time finishes yes. it. Yes, which should be a warning sign uh, to whomever wins the Canada. I forget who's Canada. It's Canada playing. versus Sweden, and go. then the winner plays Germany there in the quarterfinal. That should be yeah. a, a thing that that either one of those teams is alive to that Schuler can shoot yes. on first touch on instinct and finish like bottom corner uh, far corner it was yeah. a lovely finish but uh, to my, my point was like that this to me was sort of once the team starts to get nervous once the team that hasn't been there or is trying to kind of fight their way back you can start to see those kind of mistakes of mentality in that moment. And yeah. I think it was a sort of like, I'm coming under pressure. I don't want to make a mistake. I'm just going to try to pass the ball back and make a safe pass. But because there's that pressure, because there's that anxiety, there's nerves, it ends up being a bad back pass. I mean, you can say that for goals two and three yeah. in this game, yeah. right? The foul and the, and the bad back pass. Anything mm. else to say on Germany-Nigeria before we move on to 
the game that you said was full of drama, Australia versus Norway. Just just this, that I, it feels like Germany have been the team that haven't necessarily impressed in some of those games. They found a way to win. Yeah, like, yeah. It's a strange thing to say about a team that I believe has won all their games, but still hasn't quite... Like the China game where they end up scoring from yeah, distance. Yeah, there hasn't been like a lights out performance where it's like, oh, Germany, yeah. Uh, yeah. But this, I would say, kind of was. That it's, right. it's two early goals, it's getting people off at halftime, it's resting players, and it felt like a fairly comprehensive victory, even if in the second half, yeah. Nigeria did kind of play their way back in and get some chances. And it's also, scarily, introducing a new weapon. Because I didn't really think, I didn't know much yeah. about Shula. I mm-hmm. thought the striking partnership was uh, Pop and maybe Hoot. Yep. Uh, so suddenly you've got Shula in the mix and, mm-hmm. and Hoot can play on the wing. Like, it's almost like they're adding attackers as they go. Yep. At least they're adding attackers to my knowledge base of Germany. That's fair. Yeah. It could be both. I'm sure the coach knew about them before I did. I'm not sure. She, I hope I she know. did. I hope she you did. did some good previewing. You may have known more. I did, but she seems very good at her job. She does. <laughs> Should we talk Australian North? Let's do it. So, in regular time, mm. this finished 1-1. Yeah. After extra time, yep. this finished 1-1, but Australia were down to 10 players. And then, on penalty kicks, it was a massacre. It was. I guess the actual penalty kick score is 4-1. Yes, yeah. it was. Yeah. I mean, to be fair, Australia didn't take their fourth one because at that point you can't catch up, but they did yeah. miss two. So yeah, yeah, not a, a strong showing. It was kind of a mercy rule on penalty kicks. <laughs> yeah, I guess kind of That's not the real rule, but uh-uh. essentially, right? It's when it's mathematically impossible, as Ralph Wigan would say. <laughs> Me fail English? Me uh, fail penalties? That's impossible. <laughs> I enjoyed this game because uh, my wife, as I think I've mentioned, either on Twitter or on the show or both, has been studying for the bar uh, yeah. every waking hour of every waking day. Um, sometimes she sleeps two days, she's, apparently. She's working harder than we are. Yeah, oh, yeah, that's definitely true. But this one did get her attention, this game. And it was sort of like she has... She she doesn't always enjoy watching soccer because she feels like she's not like like quick enough in the moment to see like what teams are doing tactically. Right, and it was the most ridiculous. Like she turned around and watched for five minutes, and she was like, "Why is why is Norway just ta- attacking down one side? It seems like they're just <laughs> focusing everything down that channel." And then I think moments after she pointed that out, Norway scored. And down that channel, through this combination, I was like, huh, that's a thing I should probably pay attention to. So did you guys further that conversation? We Why did. were Norway just going down the one channel? It, it, was, it was actually, it's a thing that... Uh, the right side, is that what you said? They, uh, they were going yes, down the right. Okay. Yes. Um, and here's, Daryl's been replaced, is what I have to say. It's a thing that you, <laughs> it's a thing that you and I usually do where we'll, we'll notice a pattern and yeah. then we'll kind of start investigating, like pulling at that thread a little bit and being like, yeah, hey, yeah. why is this happening? And then we'll see something else happening. We'll be like, okay, why is that happening? And basically, my opinion is that essentially Norway were trying to maximize their strengths and minimize Australia's strengths in the same kind of uh, fell swoop. Can I take a guess at what it means? You sure can. Okay, so Caroline Graham Hansen. Yep. Very good, very dribbly um, attacking player that they have. Mm-hmm. She likes to go down the right. She does. Um, Ellie Carpenter, mm-hmm. Australia's right back, is yep. maybe their most, um, maybe their best crosser, mm-hmm. maybe the most dangerous player. When she gets forward, it's a lot of Ellie Carpenter overlaps from right back, yep. gets crosses in. So the second point is keep the ball away from her. That would be my feeling. I would also submit that Kellen Knight mm-hmm. is a midfielder yep. who is playing left back mm-hmm. to just fill a position essentially. You are correct, right? Yep. So it's a it's a not a not natural left back, and you're maybe your best attacking dribbling player. Mm-hmm. And the other side has their best attacking player, so so go down the right. Yes, and, well, and, well done, Norway. Yeah, exactly. And then also, <laughs> but but because of that, then Carpenter has to tuck inside a little bit and stay home a little bit more. Yeah. So even if they can eventually get the ball onto that side, it's still starting from a deeper position. But I also think the other factor in this for Norway was uh, Sevic, the right winger or yes. right midfielder for Norway, who I think also very good at holding the ball up for a moment, can also play quickly. But I think that combination of the players you mentioned there of Graham Hansen of and then Savic and then. Also, uh, Erlofsson even kind of overloading on one side, coming into that side as well. Oh, so it's like all their best players are yeah, on that side, essentially. Exactly, yeah. and it pulls Australia over. Yeah. And I 
think also because of that, when Australia would have to kind of send numbers over to deal with that overload, when they would win the ball back, they also are in a situation where now they're kind of out of position. They've had midfielders pull over. Maybe Sam Kerr has gone to take away the right back for, yep. for Norway, and now suddenly kind of your only option, or what seemed to be their only option, were long balls over the top. And it felt like Australia, the times that they could settle, you would see good chances, you would see good buildup. But it felt like too often they were looking for that ball into Sam Kerr. And I think rewatching with you in studio, I have an idea why, aside from that Sam Kerr is very good. I mean, I think the, I think part of the problem here is yeah. Australia were very predictable. It was mm-hmm. either longish balls to Sam Kerr or get crosses in to Sam Kerr. But none of it was particularly accurate, mm-hmm. right? When you're doing it from distance like yeah. that, then you're just inviting... Norway centre backs is it uh, Torres Dotter and I've forgotten the other centre back Rishi Mielda. Mielda were both mm. I think really good at dealing with Sam Kerr both yep. in the air and on the floor. Yes, yeah. yeah. I think, but I think that's the the other point I wanted to make there is I think they were except for in the first minute and inside what thirty oh, yeah. seconds in the twenty fourth second. Yeah. Uh, there's a great I've forgotten who plays the through ball but it's an excellent little run from Kerr. She cuts inside yep. and she shoots. I think she's going for the inside of the near post mm-hmm. and she's off by what two inches yeah if that yeah, yeah. I think it might have been Caitlin Ford I might be wrong on that okay. but but that is the one time where she's able to get uh, past the defender gets the shot off and it did feel like from that moment on for at least the first 30 minutes I think Australia thought oh that's on every day because it was on the first 30 seconds and yeah. in reality I think maybe that was again Norway having not really like been there recently or like maybe in that moment feeling like oh this could be our chance but maybe also not a little yeah. bit of nerves I think that was kind of a nervous moment for them and after that they played lights out defense and really there's one even like a couple minutes later where Mielda just stands Sam Kerr up puts her on knowing that she wants to be on her right foot and then just pokes the ball away it's actually right before Norway score their goal it's the, it's the play before Norway score their goal I think you you spotted this, that essentially they figured out Sam Kerr, super right foot. I'm sure they knew this before, right? Yeah. But essentially, show her to her left, yep. block her on her right, mm-hmm. and you can take away like maybe 50% of, of what Sam Kerr can do to you. Yeah. Right? I mean, as evidenced by when Australia do score and Sam Kerr is offside, she scores with an outside of the right foot Travella. Yeah, it's a very Jordan Morris type it goal, was. right? It was. Yeah. But it's interesting that like once you take that away and you limit the service to Sam Kerr, Australia, it felt like... Yeah, what else you got, Australia? An Olympico is basically the answer. But we can talk about that one in a minute because we should probably talk about Norway's goal first. I want, before we talk about Norway's goal, sure. I also want to talk about one extra thing that I think Norway did really well is when Australia did get the ball out wide mm-hmm. and they were looking to cross to Sam Kerr, they essentially, Norway had their 4-4-2 mm-hmm. and they would essentially shuffle over yeah, yeah, yeah. and just have mm-hmm. numbers crowd that side. Yep. So even if Ellie Carpenter got forward um, and she's with, was it Ratso, I believe, started the, started the game down on the right, there was still like, oh, they were never... Australia never had an overload. It was always the other way around. Norway, yeah. Norway had a defensive overload, so there's very little room for because you need space to put a yeah. good cross. In, yeah, right? I'm with you. Even, even David Beckham needs some room to whip in a cross. Right? If you true. all stand in front of him, he can't do it. I mean, to the point that I think there's one in the first 15 or so where Carpenter does fire in a cross. She does find herself in space, but she finds herself in space in the right channel, probably 30 yards from goal. Yeah. And when she crosses, it ends up going uh, straight to Yelmsmith. Yumseth? Yumseth. The Norwegian I'm, keeper. I'm yeah. still learning my Norwegian, so I apologize, because okay. I've been calling her Yumseth, and that's not <laughs> right. Uh, Yumseth is able to just calmly— you give yourself a hernia on the a, first part. A little bit. <laughs> um, but she comes out and just calmly collects that ball. And if you go back and watch, uh, Ford and Kerr haven't even made it into the 18 yeah. when that ball is more or less at the, in the goalkeeper's that, hands. That should be a tell that there wasn't really room for that cross. It, no. It was never on. So, uh, honestly, well done, Norway, for yeah. shutting down most of Australia's options. Yes. And well done, Norway, mm-hmm. for scoring a really nice-looking goal in the 31st minute. It's got it's, uh, it's the Olofsson goal. Mm-hmm. It's got two beautiful passes in the yep. build-off. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's Engen in the middle, who uh, was 
ice cold throughout this game yeah. and just sort of like, yeah, ice water in the veins. She scores the winning penalty, calm. Right? She yeah. scores the winning penalty. But here, collects the ball, does have bodies around her, but not enough that like they really cause her much hassle, but enough that it could be kind of blocking off options, forcing her backwards instead. It's a nice driven ball into the feet of uh, Sevek out wide. Yeah. I, call, Se- I call this a round-the-corner pass. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because yes. the angle's not really there, mm. but she manages to shape her foot yeah. to bend it out to Sevek on the wing. And I can't remember if Sevek takes a touch or if it's a first-time ball in for Olofsson but it's just from the touchline around midfield it's basically a V from Engen to Sevek <laughs> yes, and then out is, yeah. to Olofsson and it's an amazingly well struck ball because it's out into space it's ahead of Olofsson to run onto it kind of exploits the lack of pace for Australia but then also it tempts I think Lydia Williams who seems to be yeah. yeah for Australia uh, who seemed to be off her line throughout the game like I think if the ball was at midfield she was outside of her 18 she yeah. seemed to be playing very high but I think it tempts her into coming for the ball but then also isn't anywhere close enough for her to actually make a play on it she kind of comes out and then just plants herself yeah. and then she's kind of an easy target to beat right? I felt like if yeah. Williams had come out she should have just kept coming and gone down at Olofsson's feet or made it much much harder for, made herself yes. bigger instead of just standing there basically. I think so I think she's sort of hard done by Catley the left centre back for Australia she who, could have cut this ball out right if she just lifted yeah. her leg up I think, I think she, she would have gotten away I think she misreads either the the trajectory or the skip on the wall because it bounces and maybe that's like a spot where it had gotten some more water yeah. in the pregame watering. So maybe that ball moves just a little a bit faster. It's a weird pass from Sevic as well, yeah. right? So it's kind of hard to judge the spin on, yeah. on that ball. It's a yeah. bouncy, pacey ball, but not pacey enough to get to Liddy Williams. And instead, yeah. yeah, basically Catley has to pull out of it. So it goes in and it's Orlovson. One touch, second touch finish. One, one foot, two foot. Is it worth talking about Kennedy, the other centre-back? Yes, who, it is. So Catley was like fronting, yeah. uh, but Kennedy was with Orlovson. And it's just a straight sprint, right, for that ball. And Olofsson ends up a good few yards in front of Kennedy. Kennedy legitimately looks like she's running in sand. Yeah. Like it, 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 and knowing how this game ends and knowing that Kennedy does get sent off in extra time for a sort of, like, the line has been broken, she is the last defender, she makes a play and it doesn't quite come off, you can kind of see how her lack of pace here, and it leads to a Norway goal, maybe informs her thinking later on. That makes sense, yeah. All right, before we get to Australia's equaliser, yeah. there were two VAR moments in mm-hmm. this game. In the 41st-ish minute, towards the end of the first half, um, there's a penalty called mm-hmm. on Torres Dotter for handball that is then, so the referee calls it, mm-hmm. they check for VAR, and I think the, the, the video clearly shows it hits, at best, her shoulder. At worst, her shoulder. Fair? Uh, maybe mean, her chest, maybe her shoulder. Definitely not her arm. He, here's the thing. I would say that it's not... Like I would say, like it definitely hits her like pectoral area because you can see the jersey like on her chest move. Yeah, it definitely seems like it hits at least a little bit of her arm because I feel like you can see some of the muscle move. It does seem like it when hits you say her arm, shoulder. Do you mean shoulder or do you mean actual forearm? Uh, not forearm, but or, like, like somewhere in between shoulder and forearm. Okay, like, so I guess whatever that would be. I don't work out enough to know. Um, <laughs> but I think uh, so. I would say that. But I think the telling thing here is that it's initially given as a penalty and then it is reviewed and deemed not to be a penalty. And so I think. Even though I would say maybe it was like closer to being a handball in my definition. Oh, really? I don't think. I mean, I thought it was definitely like pectoral, but maybe it also gets a little bit of the arm. But I think it's telling that the referee does have a look at it and uh, makes the decision to overturn her initial call. Yeah, and I think also her silhouette is yeah. her arms are by her sides, right? She's not like they're not flapping out there. It's because she drops the shoulder, that. I think, is the only thing that throws it off yeah. a little bit for me. But yes, I think uh, for the most part, I agree with you. But are we in agreement that this is basically a correct decision? Yes. A good mm-hmm. use of VAR. Yeah. Um, okay. I, ba- basically, I wasn't sure. I feel like I tend to have a decent idea when it goes to VAR if the goal is going to stand or not because of the way it's been called and because of some of the conversations we've had with people who know how VAR works. Yeah. Uh, this was one where I was very uncertain if it was going to be called back. Yeah. 
Oh, that makes sense. That makes okay. sense. All right, and then the Sam Kerr in the yeah. 60th, 59th minute um, scores that outside of the yep. foot offside goal. Mm-hmm. I think this is a simple case of they let the play run, yep. um, and then we check if it was offside afterwards. Yes. Right, the flag goes up late essentially. Yes, which I don't late, love, but video. that's the way they're doing it. And it does lead to more goals, mm-hmm. right? But yeah, I understand why it's annoying for some people. Yep. But Sam Kerr was offside, and there's no sure. there's no debate about yep. that. They do get the equaliser. They do Australia. It's Kellen Knight. Mm-hmm. Um, she puts. So I figured out Australia's code. Um, you know, you do like one, one arm in yeah. the air. Keller Knight, when she puts one arm in the air, it means I'm going to score an Olympico. That makes sense. This one's going straight in. That's what she, that's what she means. Yeah, uh, next, next <laughs> World Cup around, we should make sure we remember that if she's still there. Yeah, and everyone should defend that. Yeah, I got it. Mm-hmm. So, obviously, that's not what she's going for. Not too much. She's going for kind of like USA versus Sweden, right? She's going for the low ball bent in towards the near post yes. so that someone can maybe get a flick on. Mm-hmm. But in the end... No one else touches it, nope. and this ball just bends right in. Yep. Um, and, <laughs> and I think there's a couple of things at play here. Again, it's a sort of chaos in the box. Nobody wants to make too dramatic of a play on the ball because it's a little bit of a scrum. There's always a chance. No one's the own goal, right? Exactly. Yeah. Or just to concede a penalty or to barge into somebody accidentally because you're trying to make a play on the ball and not paying attention to the player. Yep. I think that's part of it. But I think also another big one is that in that moment of chaos, chaos, I think, breeds indecision. And here you have, uh, who is, is it Risa who backs up? Yeah, recent number eight backs yeah. into Yam Smith, her own keeper. Yeah. And I think in backing up, she blocks the keeper from making a play on it. But she, it's really the big mistake yeah, of this goal. I but think. she backs up because basically she's trying to open up. I think I'm going to assume she's right footed. She tries to open up to be able to kind of swing through and just hit it with her right foot. Yeah. But again, because the ball is coming in, because there's bodies around, instead of just kind of going to it and like chesting it down or just making any play, thighing it down or thighing it out of bounds and letting the play reset, she kind of backs off to let the ball come to her. And then ends up backing into the goalkeeper. There's contact, and that's why I think nobody's able to make a play in the I end. I think it's honestly a case of too many players yep. on the six-yard line. And if they just, if Norwegian players had just cleared out the way, Jan Smith could have just dealt with this herself. Yeah, I think yeah. so. That yeah. might be the way to deal with these types of uh, low corner kicks, which have become like a weird feature of this World Cup, right? Mm-hmm. It's at least the second one we've seen be successful, if you count the US one as well. And I'll bet it's been tried many other times as well. Yes, it did feel like Australia went, and maybe they have been, but it's just because the yellow jerseys have made me feel like there's a connection to Sweden. That, like, <laughs> I think we've talked about with Sweden was kind of putting a lot of bodies inside the six-yard box and almost yeah, yeah. ringing the goalkeeper. Mm-hmm. That's what Australia did here. And I, and I am thinking it's sort of drive the ball into the box, we'll get bodies in there, maybe there's contact, maybe there's a handball, maybe there's just a scrum, but it did seem like they were kind of aiming for driven ball and hopeful chaos. Do you want to talk about the Kennedy red card, or have we already touched on that? Just, just so in extra time, yeah. 104th minute, uh, Kennedy, Australian centre back, gets a red card for denial of goal scoring opportunity. Yeah, and this is one of those where, like, I think maybe it's just like your like fandom or rooting interest comes into this because for me, this is a clear red card. It's outside yeah. the box. She's not making a play on the ball. She's playing the player, which is dog so. Yep. Denial of goal scoring opportunity. It's Ullen, right? Down. Ullen just threw on goal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I and I think we went back and watched. It does end up. As uh, Utland goes down, because she's pulled down, Lydia Williams is again way off her line. She collects the ball right at the top of the 18. But I think there's a chance that maybe Utland is going to get there. And so that's why I think Kennedy just has that momentary flash of like, oh, no, I could be beaten for this one. I don't want to yeah, be exposed yeah. again. And, and she, she does. She grabbed Jersey. Yes. So she does, yeah. And, I and think, pulls it down. Yeah. And I think this is one where if you don't have a bunch of cameras, if you just have – you know, a referee and two ARs, I think she gets away with it because it is sort of sneaky. If you see it, it's if you see it from enough. behind as they're running, yeah, you can't really see the jersey pull. But when you see it, it looks from, just like shoulder to shoulder. It right? does. And then when you flip it around, though, from the goalkeeper's perspective <laughs> and that camera, it's very clear. Grabs it, Kenny grabs the whole jersey and does not let go. Maybe grabs more than the jersey, it seems, by the way. Um, oh, yeah. Well, by the reaction. Yeah. 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 But I, I think it's absolutely that momentary flash of I might be beaten. 
she could be in, I'm pulling her down, and then, yeah, red card. But that isn't what loses And the moment of, and the kind of, like, immediate protestation of, like, I didn't do that. There was no contact. Whenever you're like, there was no contact at all. The thing that just happened didn't happen. Yeah. You didn't see what you just saw. That was Kennedy's protest. Yeah, but it's like, it's like when, I don't know, I don't know how to explain, I don't have a good analogy for this, but it's like, if you commit a foul and you know you commit a foul, you do the, like, yeah, I know, I know. But just as soon as, like, there's maybe contact and you turn around, like, I didn't do anything at all. And if you say I did, you're a liar. It's like, (laughs) now you're protesting a bit too much. Weirdly, that wasn't what cost us. Australia the game. No. What cost Australia the game was what they did from 12 yards out yeah. in the penalty shootout. And I feel bad saying this, but I honestly think Sam Kerr's mistake on the first penalty kick set the tone for the rest of her teammates. Yes. I think that's where this all falls apart for Australia. Uh, I agree. And, and, it's, and it's strange to go back and watch because in the moment, I kind of expected like, oh, Sam Kerr, first penalty taker for Australia. Shark eyes. Uh, she comes up after Hansen, and who Hansen scored hers. You yeah. expect Sam Kerr to kind of set that tone, as you said. And then watching it, like, I found myself being like, in live thinking, is she is she nervous? Like, she's she. I weird, did not right? expect this because yeah. I, th- I think of her as such like mm-hmm. a like, cold eyed assassin, yep. and that's what she's been. But I think the moment for me was when I saw her keep moving yeah, the ball on this. the spot yeah. and not being happy with how the ball mm-hmm. was sitting on the spot. Yeah, I've had that experience. I know that you were just you're just overthinking it mm-hmm. at that point. You're absolutely overthinking it. Yes, and then I think also she overthinks it by trying to disguise her shot. Because yeah. when, we, when we watch it together, her plant foot kind of goes far out in front of where it should, and her shooting foot ends up kind of uh, in step up almost. So you can yeah. tell basically, I think, that she's trying to fool uh, Yelmsmith, the goalkeeper, by sending her the wrong way, and she does. But then she also oversells it and puts it up and over the bar, and wide of the bar. Yeah, and then you can tell Australia are just... I feel like the rest of the the takers are just yeah. like, oh, Sam Kermis. Yeah, and and contrasting that with Norway, who were like, those are four expertly taken penalties. Yep. I tweeted, I loved Mielda's penalty because it just felt like such a like you have. I we're not letting you back into the game. I just that's a no nonsense penalty. Yeah, right? yeah, but that just felt like from a narrative, like not from like reality standpoint, but just narrative. I was like, this feels like a penalty she's gonna miss to keep. The kind of hopes alive, and maybe Australia have a chance. Yeah, and then she just buried that thing, and it was like, <laughs> oh, okay, so that's that. So that was the decisive one. Engen was the one that actually made it mathematically yeah. impossible and made the mercy rule happen. And again, ice, <laughs> ice in the veins, just calmly dispatched, side foots it, bottom corner, and then just kind of casually runs off celebrating. I enjoy that immensely. So we do know that in the mm. next round, Norway will be playing. England. Yes. So we're going to talk more about England's game against Cameroon up next. But first, today's Total Soccer Show is sponsored by SeatGeek, our yep. friends at SeatGeek, spelled S-E-A-T-G-E-E-K. I'm just saying that because some people, when I say it, they don't know what I'm saying. Daryl Grove with the helpful knowledge. We yeah. do appreciate it. And we do appreciate SeatGeek for uh, providing tickets to any sort of live event, concerts, comedy shows, sporting events, theater, anything you want. You can find tickets on SeatGeek, yep, including ticket. the Gold Cup. Including the Gold Cup. Yeah, Yeah. buying tickets to things like the Uh Gold Cup used to be confusing, used to be annoying. With SeatGeek, it is super easy. You just tap on Mm -hmm. the app and the tickets come to you. They do. I invented that copy. I should sell it back to them. Did you really? Yeah. Tap on the app. You're so good. Tap on the app. Get yourself some tickets. And if if you tap on the app, you can also get the color-coded system that we've spoken about before, where you can also figure out if the tickets that are uh, available are a good value or Mm -hmm. not. Green Um, is good, right? Green green is is good. good. Red is the opposite of good. Gordon Gecko said that, right? I I think that was it. That was definitely Green is good. It's a combination of Gordon Gecko and Gordon Geico, I think, (laughs) said that one. Yeah. Um, But yes, uh, so you can get tickets to any of the Gold Cup matches. They are all kind of double headers. So I think like there's uh, the one in Los Angeles is Jamaica versus uh, Curacao. And 
then El Salvador versus Honduras, I think. And those are those are, the those are going for a, a, a fairly high price, but like the U.S. doubleheader in Kansas City, tickets are available for like forty to fifty bucks. I think you can really? find those on SeatGeek for U.S. Panama and what I assume is Trinidad Guiana. That sounds yeah. likely. Yes. There we go. And what if you wanted to get ten dollars off even that cost? I have no idea what you can do. No, no. I'll tell you then. Oh, please. What you can do is use the TSS promo code, oh, which yes, is. Of it is TSS. Uh-huh. So if you use the SeatGeek app, use the promo code TSS, you'll get $10 off your first purchase. You can use that for Gold Cup. You can use that for concert tickets, other sports that aren't even soccer, if you, if you want to waste your time watching those sports, um, comedy, music, anything else you want to watch. Yes, but not baseball. Don't buy baseball. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Baseball's fine. Soccer's better. <laughs> so remember, the promo code is TSS for $10 off your first purchase. SeatGeek supports our show, so we'll hope you support them as well. Thank you very much to SeatGeek for sponsoring today's episode. Speaking of today, let's get to the games from today. And today's games were mm-hmm. England-Cameroon. Yep. Um, England won 3-0. And France-Brazil, in which France won 2-1 mm-hmm. in extra time. Teddy, you said at the top of the show that England-Cameroon yes. was... The most dramatic game. It was, I think, because there were many incidents right at the end of the half, the start of the half, the start of the second half, yeah, yeah. even at the end of the game. And there's been much like outcry on Twitter. Uh, I think some of it justified, some of it not. Uh, and I think we're gonna maybe not get into that. Is is the best way I can explain it? Because yeah. not just not just because we tend to not want to get delve too deep into the, the inner workings of Twitter, but also because I think that's not really what we do. I feel like we try to kind of interpret what's happening on the field. As best we can. All right. And I think if you kind of – I think we've tried to take the, the approach of if you're approaching it that way, then you're not letting other stuff factor into it. Yeah. So that's kind of the way I feel most comfortable. That said, I, I do expect maybe a, a mini rant or two from me. Okay. <laughs> so let's focus on the game. Then. Okay. Like I said, it finishes England 3, mm-hmm. Cameroon nil. It starts with a goal from Steph Houghton in the 14th minute after a back pass. And I think this is the uh, – it's Njangu, mm-hmm. I believe is how I believe is how you pronounce it. Uh, the ball is squared. She touches it back and, and, go, and go and arm the keeper picks it up. Njangu doesn't think this is a back pass uh-uh. and, she, and she protests a lot. She does for a good long while. I mean, it's I forget when the back pass actually occurs, but it takes a long time for Cameroon to stop the protestations, yeah. especially uh, yeah, I apologize. Njangue, Njangue, yeah, she really doesn't She's the stop. Right back. Continues has to be pulled away from the referee twice. Then there's the kind of setting up of the wall. Yeah, the referee making sure that the maximum distance possible is possible. And it's tough, right? Because yeah. this is what on the six yard line or yeah. so, and mm-hmm. you're supposed to be ten yards away from the ball yep. or. To the end of the field, right? So that basically Mm -hmm. means all the Cameroonian players have to be basically on their own goal line, Mm -hmm. including the keeper, who I think... Maybe it's smart. She tries to be, just be a step ahead of everybody yeah. so she can be in front of her defenders, but the ref pulls her back. Yeah, the ref eventually. does. And I understand why the keeper's doing that because, number one, it's a free kick from six yards out, so yeah. you're going to be a little so bit up hard. for it. It's so hard to defend. But I think if you're the, you're the goalkeeper, you're also not used to having to worry about the distance from a free kick yeah, aside yeah. from when a penalty's being taken, uh-huh. in which case, stay on your line. <laughs> uh, but here, so I think, I say that just to say that I understand why she has to be like pushed back like twice by the, by the ref uh-huh. because that you're trying to police the area. But maybe also there's an element of she feels maybe slightly guilty. Yeah. Because I do think – I don't know if it was necessarily an intentional pass back. I think it was a miscontrol. Yeah, which, I think she was just taking a touch to try and stop it. I can't remember who the striker is who's behind her, but she's just taking a touch to yeah. stop it going. Tony Duggan. It's Duggan, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. So maybe – and I actually can see Njengu's argument mm-hmm. is it's not a deliberate back pass to my mm-hmm. keeper. It's me um, – uh, cutting off a ball to Duggan and I got a touch and then my keeper picked it up I can see how you could yeah. construct that argument but I still think um, Ngo and Dom should have just realised 
there's a 50-50 chance this is given as an indirect free kick. I should just kick this away. Yeah, Don't I mean, pick it up. I mean, I can see how you can construct that argument, but I can see it more so when you're the one who's committed the infraction. That Then you're going yeah. to be like, no, 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 it wasn't this. But, like, we've played those games. You'll have moments where, like, somebody will mishit a clearance and it will go backwards and the other team will yell for pass back. And, yeah. like, even then it sort of is like, ah, like, it was kind of... It's kind of hard, right? It is. And so I think here that's always going to be given because it's just... It's such an obvious moment of if that ball isn't picked up, there is a moment of confusion there because maybe Tony Duggan gets a foot through, maybe she pokes it into the yeah. goal. So I, it does feel in the end like it was a preventative measure to stop an England attack. Yeah. And when you're doing that, then it becomes a little bit illegal because you're picking up a ball after your defender sort of has left it in no man's land. Is there a chance that this kind of sets the tone for the game? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I think so because like it, it is Ejangue uh, uh, who then... Uh, later on in the, in the half, later on in the game, seems to be very emotionally affected by some of the decisions from the referee. Yeah. And and I do wonder if maybe it starts here with this feeling of like, I didn't do this and I'm being accused of a thing. She and feels then, an injustice, basically. Yeah, I think yeah. so. And if you feel like there's been an injustice, I'm not even whether or not I agree, but if, if she feels like that wasn't the correct call and now suddenly your team is 1-0 down because of a mistake that now you're being blamed for, I think yeah. it then starts to kind of weigh on you And you, you know what? Bit. This only just clicked in my head. We've had these games where if the ref d- does something mm-hmm. and like, calls against you, you just think at the start of the game, the ref's against me. And you kind of get in that mindset, and that's what you think for the rest of the game. Yes. And then every call that goes against you feels like a bigger injustice. Yes. And this is where, maybe this is mini rant number one that might turn into moderate rant, but I think... I, I think some of the decisions that people have been upset about, we're going to get into. But I think if you're going to go with like what VAR, like the way VAR has been enforced, I think a, these decisions are mostly all correct. Yeah. I think, though, the problem here is the center official because I think she does not do a good enough job like basically applying structure to this game. I think like the best way I can explain this is uh, two weeks ago I was playing an indoor game. Our indoor team can be feisty at times. and to, uh, oh, uh, Very familiar. Yeah, one guy on our team. <laughs> Uh, got into it with another guy on the other team. They're going back and forth. And, like, it, neither one necessarily did enough to get... Like, I think they both they both didn't even get carded. Neither one did enough, but it was very clear that things had boiled over. The referee didn't want to give a card, so he just said, like, look, both of you step off. Indoor has rolling subs. Step off for a minute, get a breather, come back on. Yeah. And they both refused. And the referee was like, no, you got to go. And they're like, no, we're not leaving. And he was like, okay, play resumes. Because, I mean, and that ref can't enforce substitutions, He, right? he can't. Yeah. But at that point... Now the referee has sort of been like, you guys got to step off. No. So okay. I get that, but what, what does that have to do with England Cameroon? Because it- once that starts happening, once there are moments of the referee not taking control, and I genuinely— But she gave this call, right? She, she took right. control. But what I'm saying is, like, like even, even with some of the protestations, with, with some of, like, 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 after the second goal for England, when there's, like, she's trying to get the play going, and the, and the Cameroon player's like, no, go away. Oh, we're talking bigger issue, not, yeah. just, not just this um, Not just this, call. yeah, sorry, okay. I'm making it bigger already. But, yeah. like, basically, I think she doesn't do a good enough job asserting her authority— and then that allows things to start slipping. And then it does feel, if you feel like the aggrieved party, and then suddenly it's like, wait, hold on, why is this being called? And why isn't she talking to us? And why isn't this being communicated? And, and there are moments when Cameroon get, I, I think, very angry, and she walks away. She doesn't put yeah, a stop yeah. to it. So and you're talking I, about like the end of the first half, after yeah. the Ellen White goal mm-hmm. is ruled onside, and then uh, there's, there's a long time before Cameroon kick off. Yeah. And I think, doesn't she come over and tap? Twice. Um, number seven, the captain. Angene. Um, Angene. Yeah. Taps on the shoulder to be like, hey, come on, let's go. And Angene kind of like shrugs her off. Right? Yeah, and, and so that's the type of thing you're talking about, ref losing control. Yeah. And then, yeah. And so it just, it seems like, as strange as, like the best way I can explain it is just that like, teams still, like you have to be able, if you're the referee, to say, 
no, both of you get off or I'm giving you cards yeah. in that indoor moment. Because if you don't do that, it devolves. And it ended up in almost a fist fight because then the authority kind this of is the there. Game, not the yeah. And it feels like, well, that wasn't called. Maybe we can get away with this. Well, that wasn't called. Well, why wasn't this called? Well, now you're against us. Well, now you're for them. And then yeah, it's, yeah. it builds and builds. And I think that's what happened here. Okay, yeah. That, I mean, that makes sense mm-hmm. to me as the narrative um, of the game. All right. But let's get back to the goal. Let's do it. Because the indirect free kick is given. Mm-hmm. Cameroon put... Everybody on the line, yep. um, except they kind of overload on the right side, like yeah. the near post side. And I would say under underload? That's mm-hmm. not a word, is it? But they don't put as many people um, they do not. at the far post. And that's where I think doesn't Duggan just roll it and Steph Houghton hits it yes. inside the far post. Right. Yeah. yeah. And and it is inside the far post. It does take, I think it it's weird to say a deflection off the goalkeeper's hand, but yeah. that's pretty much what this is. And I think it is on Gene who is... Sort of covering the far post, but it's tucked inside just yeah. a little bit. And I think would have been there to maybe chest it and then clear. But because it takes that little deflection, it then goes to Ongane's left, but between Ongane and the post and into the goal. It's it really goes. unfortunate, right? Because yep. if a keeper hadn't touched it, she probably would have just probably. taken it on the thigh or, or cleared it mm-hmm. in some way. So it's 1-0 England after 14 minutes. Yep. And then, as you said, the big incident is um, it's uh, Ellen White's goal mm. in the, what, 50... 45th plus 4th minute. You got it. 49th minute of the first half, put mm. it that way, because it's in added time. It is. Oh, it's, so before we get into the... It's not really a controversy, mm-hmm. right? Because it's onside. This is all about Lucy Bronze. Tell that to Cameroon, but right, sure. Yeah, yeah. Um, mm-hmm. this is all about Lucy Bronze yeah. to me. So the ball is spread out wide to Lucy Bronze. She plays on the line to, to, I think, Duggan, who's on the right, maybe switched to Paris for a bit. Gets it back, swings across into White. The cross is headed away. But what I'm really impressed with Lucy Bronze yep. is she then follows up and regains possession. She's the first player on the field mm-hmm. to know where this ball's coming back to. Regains it immediately and drives at the heart of the Cameroon defence. And mm-hmm. that, that's kind of the killer blow here, right? That she just recollects the ball and drives straight at them. Yes, because I think it's also like England like trying to move the ball around, spreading it wide, dropping it back. This is like a direct run in into kind of the heart of the Cameroonian defense, and that's where uh, two of the uh, midfielders collapse. But the most important one is Awona, the center back, also steps out yeah. to try to sort of deal with Lucy Bronze because it does feel like suddenly she's starting to dribble sort of towards goal, sort I mean, of towards the is, middle right? of the field. Yeah. yeah, and so I think because Awona tries to make a play because everybody kind of collapses on Lucy Bronze, she has that lovely little like outside of the foot lift almost pass through that finds Ellen White. Ellen White takes a touch, takes a second touch to finish. But here's the big thing. Mm-hmm. Ellen White's unmarked yep. because Awona has stepped out there it is. to try and deal with Lucy Bronze. Mm-hmm. I feel like she should have deferred responsibility to the midfielders mm-hmm. to take care of it and yep. not left Ellen White unmarked. Yes. Fair? Yes, and this is where it's sort of, this game made me start to cringe and like root, like please don't let this happen. Like when Cameron's goal gets disallowed, that happened. And here, when I watched this, I was like, wait, why isn't is Ellen White on? And then I realized it's going to be a Jean Gay, isn't it? And it was. A Jean Gay fails to step out that's why Ellen White is left in an onside position yeah, and she's like pretty clearly onside right on the, yeah. on the replay mm-hmm. yeah. but if you already feel hard done by and now you feel like oh it's me again of course and then also I think we had a question about like if the Cameroonian players were able to see or any of the players when VR is happening if they were able to see the replays themselves would it help Yeah, and I get why that makes sense but I, I really don't think it would and it's do you not think though if Jange could see oh I was I was behind Ellen White I was keeping her onside it's mm-hmm. kind of hard to argue after that right I, if you have the visual evidence it's, it, uh, see I guess like she might be the out here because I do also think that we've seen in this game and in other games this tournament once it's been explained by the official and again this is where I think the authority of the official to uh, like quickly and precisely convey what's happening is so important because we've seen other teams think it's a bad call 
the VR is explained and it's like, okay. And then they go on with it. And here yeah. I think because there wasn't enough explanation, it was just sort of like, oh, yeah, it happened. It's a goal. Whatever. Like I, I think that's where more of the sort of what's happening, this doesn't feel like things are going our way and it feels like it's a little bit intentional yeah. starts to, again, bubble up. And it doesn't help that it's a crushing goal, right? Because no. the difference between 1-0 mm-hmm. and 2-0 is like it's a much, much, mm-hmm. much bigger sort of hill you've got to climb to, to get back level, right? Yeah. And this is also where things take a turn for the surreal. Because then uh, there's still time left. You, they're going to take a kickoff, except Cameroon huddle up. Yeah, in the this is what you were talking about, where the ref sort of is encouraging them to yeah. like, hurry up and kick off. Mm-hmm. But they like Anjene is basically not, yeah. not listening to the ref. And, and this is it feels similar to like the indoor anecdote going back to that <laughs> one, where it's a sort of like she can't. There's nothing she can do. Like all she can do is start handing out cards, and she clearly doesn't want to do that. Yeah. So is that what she should have done? I felt like in the moment it would have felt like it, she could make things even worse. Y- yeah, and like we should have to choose between the lesser of of two annoyances, right? Yeah, I feel bad here because we haven't. Met, I mean, I don't feel that bad because we haven't mentioned her name, but we've been criticizing her. But it's uh, Kin Liang, I think it is for uh, the she's referee? A ch- Chinese referee. And yeah, I mean, I, I, it's tough because then you're suddenly handing out a bunch of yellow cards. Who do you hand it out to? Do you hand it to the whole team to the captain? Yeah, and it it just sort of feels like it's things are at an impasse and she can't really do anything but that's not a very great look when you're trying to again kind of keep the game rolling keeping things orderly yep. or not even orderly but just moving in a logical direction of take the kickoff and then we'll get in for half time okay mm-hmm. and then in the second half yeah it gets more dramatic it does number three mm-hmm. shoe yeah scores um the pass comes from um Ongene. mm-hmm Angene was offside. She was. Um, it was. Um, I can't remember who the striker was, uh, but they put good pressure on Bardsley, mm-hmm. the England keeper, forced her into a, like a bum clearance. Basically, mm-hmm. it was not a good clearance. So that clearance is played immediately back down the line, um, and Angene, as we learn on the replay, mm-hmm. is offside by literally the width of a foot. Right? It's like her, her cleat mm-hmm. is the her foot, entire yep. foot is the only thing that that makes her offside. Mm-hmm. But she is offside when she receives his pass. It's a great square ball to shoot. It's a great finish by shoot. Yeah. But Angene was offside. This is this is where I feel like like the 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 Twitter commentary of like if you like VAR you're a cop comes into the equation because yeah. it is sort of like I understand that it feels terrible. It feels like and yeah. and and I understand also because this was the first time I think in this tournament that VAR has really bothered me because it did feel like you saw Shu after that one. She she's very calm. She gets everybody back. You can tell that she. I don't speak French, but you can tell that she's saying like, "This is us. We got this now. Yeah. We got to fight. We can make something it's happen." Definitely. A let's go. Let's yeah. go. We're it's back. Two in to this. one. Yeah. We're right back in this to start the second yeah. half. And there's an element of her saying, "Be calm, focus." I yeah. think in, in what she the way the body language that she's giving yeah. to her teammates is, "Be calm, focus." And then it's called back for offside. And yeah. I think that it's so close. It is technically correct. It's how they've called VAR. Look, if you want to debate whether or not that's frustrating, I will be on the side of, yes, it's really frustrating. Yeah. Should it be the rule? I don't really know because it is the rule. And so she is offside, but I get why in that moment it felt like, oh, we've got a game. No, we don't. The momentum is crushed. Yeah. And I think that then further explains the frustration that you see after this goal. So this isn't a conversation where we have to be pro or anti-VAR, Mm-mm. right? I feel like VAR just is. It exists. Yep. It is being used in this tournament. And if you are even... Like the width of a foot offside, mm-hmm. it's going to be spotted by VAR yep. and the goal's going to get called back. Yeah, and this is where I, I really enjoyed uh, Kim McCauley's take on this game on Twitter, uh, where she points out that basically the three calls are correct. You might not like it, but they're correct. But it still speaks to a larger issue of VAR being implemented just before this tournament starts. That's the big s- issue, right? And, it's not, and then there are all the responses like, no, it was implemented in the World Cup last year. Fine. But there have been nuances and wrinkles and changes to the way it's, it's being enforced. It's not calls. just the VAR. It's the new laws, right? Exactly. It's essentially the new mm-hmm. laws. That's the, the argument with the, um, the yeah. penalty kick, people coming off the line, all that kind of stuff. Exactly. Yeah, it so, shouldn't have been introduced right before the tournament. Right. And so that that is a separate issue, again, 
I would probably err on the side or I would agree with that, that like, yes, this has not been implemented properly. There were other times there could have been more time to get used to it, but it is the system we have. And so I think maybe that is then I'm coming around on this. Maybe that is the idea of like maybe you need a fifth official to explain what's happening with the review to the team who's the aggrieved party so that then they can be like, okay, that helps us understand what's going on a bit more. I think if it was if there was a way to do it, Mm -hmm. I think to prove to the players, hey, this is what happened. Like maybe that would maybe that would calm things down. Because I saw an interview um, with Shu um, afterwards. Um, It was in French, but uh, uh, closed Mm -hmm. captions translated. And she says, I don't know why that goal was called back. Yeah. So I don't know if she's just still protesting Mm -hmm. or if she like. Maybe no one told her, hey, it was because Angeni was offside. Because maybe yeah. she's thinking, oh, did I do something wrong? Yeah. I wasn't offside. I yeah. didn't foul anyone in the build-up. I, I placed my shot perfectly. Yeah. Do you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. But it seems to me her teammates must have explained it to her at some point. Yeah, I mean, I, w- I would... You would guess, right? I would guess. I mean, it might, she might just be speaking to the general frustration and confusion of VAR. Yeah. This is semi-rant number two. You can be quiet if you want, because this could get kind of awkward. Should but I sit back? But I also do think that, like... I'll be honest and say that I'm going to guess you probably felt slightly uncomfortable saying what you just said there because I also think there's been a little bit of – not even a little bit. There's been a lot of a lot of the stereotypes, especially about African teams brought out. And I think with this game, there were some of like, oh, Cameroon don't even know the rules. They don't even know how to play this. You mean on the commentary? Yeah. And so I think – or even – yes, and then the general coverage I've seen, some of the English media in response to the way this game finished. And I think that there's an element yeah, there – Yeah, Phil of, Neville's comments after the game were not helpful. Yeah, and, and so I think then it becomes like, oh, Cameroon don't even know how this is. And it, and it becomes this sort of like, oh, fast and physical but don't know the rules. And that is when I think that kind of bleeds into the, some of the reaction I feel like people have had on social media media and in response to this game so i just say it to say that like that is choose own words is i don't understand why this wasn't called back and yeah. again i think it speaks to a lack of communication I, from the official and i honestly don't know how literally to take that yeah. i don't know if she's just expressing frustration mm-hmm. or if she's saying like no one told me that ungeni was offside yeah but commentators do some research and that's what i have to say about that one <laughs> what do you think of uh what happened so her, her mm-hmm. emotional reaction after this goal is mm-hmm. uh ruled out what was, was she just protesting? Was she saying, I want to leave the field? I think or what that, was going on? I think, it, I think it was that. And I think for a moment I thought she was the one who was going to be subbed out because there is a change immediately after that. Yeah. Uh, Ngaramui, I think, uh, is subbed off. On comes Takunda. But Ngaramui famously has like multiple ACL True. surgeries mm-hmm. and can't go for that long. And, yeah. yeah. But when I saw that change happening immediately after this, I thought, ooh, okay, they're taking off Chu because she, she is sort of at the point where she can no longer yeah. function within the team right now. But I think... I saw the coach give her a hug. I yeah. also saw Angeni, who's the captain, mm-hmm. do the captain's job and like hold her tight and basically calm it down. Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, uh, Alain Jumfa is the the coach for Cameroon. And, and yeah, he he held, he held her in. And again, that felt sort of strange at the moment of like, what's happening? He seems yeah. to be restraining her. Yeah, this is strange. he's so big and she's so small yeah. as well. It was like a big bear hug. But he himself, I think there were reports, that is definitely part of it. But yeah. there were reports that like there were uh, allegations of racism at halftime, that there were protests from Cameroon at halftime, that they came back onto the field very quickly in order to have further conversations with the officials or maybe with the fourth officials. So I think... That was also the moment in this game where I thought, like, they, they legitimately – I know a lot of people tweeted this, but, like, I thought they legitimately may, may walk off the field right now. And yeah. that may just be the end of it. Cause, and when that go, when it became clear that goal was coming back, again, I was like, oh, no, this is not going to be good. This is going to make things much, much worse. Well, in terms of the scoreline, mm-hmm. things did get worse yep. because England scored a third. It yep. was a very smart corner kick mm-hmm. from England. Yep. Yeah, it's what a load. Is it Duggan again? It uh, is. Low driven ball in. Mm-hmm. And it's, I've forgotten her first Greenwood. name. Greenwood. Al- I think Alex Greenwood. Alex Greenwood mm-hmm. does this run from the, she's at the very far post. Yep. And she does, 
it's essentially it's not a full circle, but it's more than a semicircle. It is of a run around, like through the top of the penalty area mm. and back to the middle yep. um, to meet the ball from Duggan and one time finish. And it's and it's the sort of like the ruthlessness of design set pieces that when you're Greenwood, if you know how to make that like full sprint arc around the kind of traffic in the middle, yeah. it favors you because if you know exactly where that ball is going to be or roughly where that ball is going to be hit and you know how to make that run, you're at full speed, whereas the defender is trying to get through a bunch of other players to track the mark who is at full speed. Yep. That's why Greenwood gets mm-hmm. that goal. But it's so. a great finish as well. It's clearly designed, clearly something they've done multiple times, yeah. but uh, that doesn't take away from Isn't, how good um, the finish I don't know if we mentioned this, but Lucy Bronze is also involved. She does some mm-hmm. blocking um, at the far post. So if any Cameroonian players were going to sort of try and run with Greenwood, yep. Bronze blocks them off. I mean, yes. that's there's maybe an argument for VAR for Bronze blocking. I, I think yeah. it's, it's, it's... This isn't the NFL. You can't do that. It's not, but it's like just <laughs> enough that like, I think the argument could be made like, oh, she's trying to make a play. She's maybe going in the direction of the ball. Yeah, like, yeah. Yeah, but it's it's not like as though she like steps in front and blocks her off or anything like that. That's it's true. Just, it's that's just true. enough to like make her adjust her run a little bit. No face guarding. No face guarding. <laughs> <laughs> Anything else to say on this game? Because I know there's a, there's a lot going on with this game. Yes, uh, okay. b- because I also do think that, and I, again, I'm stealing a point from Kim McCauley, but she also made the point that there could have been three red cards to Cameroon in this game. I, I do oh, believe that. Oh, there was that. the foul on Nikita Paris in the first few minutes. There's right? the there's the elbow from Leuco, who, if you go back and watch, I think she knows exactly what she's doing. She throws yeah. an elbow as Paris is trying to get by. She gets a yellow, right? She gets a yellow, yeah. and that, again, could have been a moment where the authority is stamped, and it wasn't. I yeah. think uh, Ejangue, uh it's debatable whether or not it's intentional, but spits on Tony Duggan after the back pass happens. Yeah, I, I honestly think there's no way of knowing. I, I don't either, but it's still, it, it's a questionable moment where she knows Tony Duggan is right in front of her and that's when she chooses to spit. Yeah. So there's that one. And then at the very end, uh, you have uh, Takonda coming across, very bad tackle on uh, Houghton. And this is one where I think you, you made the point that like uh, it's reckless, but it's not necessarily dangerous. Yeah. So maybe it's, it's a bit of a scrape yeah. down the down the shin. But right? it was yeah, it's, not, who, it's not excessive force. I uh, don't think it's an endangering opponent, but it's mm-mm. pretty close to it. But it's yeah. Secunda having just been frustrated because she felt she was fouled, that her yeah. her run was obstructed. Yeah, Williamson like bumped into her yeah. twice, and uh, so we haven't seen a close up of it. Mm-hmm. But Secunda goes down as if she's maybe been elbowed, yeah. sort of in the mm-hmm. what's that called sternum. Yeah. And it may be that like that Williamson kind of just like. Yeah. Through an elbow a little bit, yeah. But then, like, play stops. She gets treatment. When she comes back on, the first thing she does is sprint 30 yards to put this tackle in. Yeah. And that, on a different player. Yeah. yeah. And that may be just like, no, I'm still going to fight. I want my teammates to know that I'm still up for this. But just the way she comes through, I think, also could have been a red. Yeah. The fact that then uh, the coach who I just braved earlier, Jumfa, steps over Houghton while she's on the ground. And then uh, uh, who's, the, uh, who's the captain again? Ongeni. Ongeni, thank you. She comes over and is screaming. At, like Houghton, yeah. Yeah, and, th- and this, again, is where the referee comes over and tries to talk to her. And Ongeni just, like, shakes her off. And the referee just backs up and stands there and lets her scream at the England players. Yeah. Again, not really asserting authority. And my final, final thing I have to say okay. is I have a conspiracy theory about oh, this no. because I know there was I know there was some talk about why the commentators were saying it. Why wouldn't you just call this game at this point? Why would you allow – why would you go like do VAR to see if this needs to be a red card because there I is mean, a possible red card check? because that's not how soccer works. You play until the game's over. Right? Yes. Yeah. But I – also, I'm wondering, the fourth official responsible for keeping that extra time uh, is was the center official for the Scotland-Argentina game, which sort of uh, – what, what would be the term here? Not like dramatically, but not like suspiciously or anything like that. But it ends with maybe there should have been more time for, because of VAR, and it's basically called with – 
I think four minutes were added on, but then there's like a seven-minute VAR challenge, and it's called in the 95th minute. I so I do wonder if maybe there was a talking to for her, the North Korean official, Okri Hang, uh, and maybe they said like, okay, but in the future, make sure you play all I the see. way through, and every minute has to be accounted for. I mean, and so that's you why play this all the going. way through every time? Well, yeah, that's also that. That's how supposed yes. to work, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Yes. Um, one final thought I have on this game is I think maybe Cameroon went into this thinking, all right, we're outmatched. This is mm-hmm. a good England team. We're gonna we're gonna fight. Yeah, you know? we're gonna give them a battle, and I think maybe that's what boiled over. Like emotions were high, and when decisions go against you, yeah. and you fight more, and you keep fighting, I think I think that's kind of the story of this game. That yep. the plan was to be scrappy mm-hmm. and to fight. I think that's evidenced by the Lyoko elbow, maybe in yeah. the early on to Paris, because mm-hmm. that's before any other incident, right? Um, and I think that is like that was almost the. Uh, the driving force for mm-hmm. Cameroon going into this game. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I think that that's probably a fair way to look at it. But I think, again, going, going back to our, the team, many teams that we've played on, if suddenly things go against you very quickly, where maybe there's a yellow card that you don't think should have happened, then there's this back pass and it's a goal, that can really quickly turn into anger and frustration, which can then turn into sort of the game we saw today. Yeah, let's do this. Let's try and remember uh, Cameroon. For Shu's late winner, yeah. with ten seconds to go, that got them to the round of sixteen. Mm-hmm. Like this, this game obviously this won't be what they want to remember, but they had this great moment where they qualified from the group stage mm. with Shu scoring the winner. That's how she'll want to remember the World Cup, right? All right, yeah. that, that works for me. Um, one other thing, it's probably not going to happen, but that's what I want to happen. That's fair. But one other thing, though, I think about this game real fast, though, is that like lost in all this is that England win and go through and yeah. I don't really know what to make of it because there were moments when they looked very sloppy and the English defense gave away the ball a lot and yeah. were not nearly as sharp as they need to be I to mean, kind like, of continue to advance like Bardsley's clearance that yeah. leads to the, the offside goal in the end yeah. but I don't know if because the game had so many weird moments in it that maybe it was just sort of it took England out of their normal rhythm I don't yeah. really know what went on there but it, it was it to me like they were trying to play too fast yeah, when they're already tuning up, like I think if you're two, three in a loop, you could just like mm. maintain possession and slow it down, and they never look really capable of being that slow possession team, which maybe is just not a gear that England have. Yeah, yeah. It, might, it might be, or maybe they just wanted to make sure everybody like was ready for the next round. And yeah. So there you go. But either Speaking way, England of, advance. Next round is mm-hmm. England Norway, which yeah. I think is going to be quite the game. Yeah, yeah, I think so because. We, there will be question marks about England's ability to play out of the back and, and kind of connect those long balls out of the back. Uh-huh. Norway, we know, will press and will block off and then challenge and fight for every ball. And That's it could be a very uh, interesting game of back and forth. Okay. Mm. Speaking of, yeah. final game of today and Indeed. final game to review on today's show is France-Brazil. As mm. I said, France won 2-1. In extra time. Yes. What yeah. happened? Uh, because I think we were like, this could probably be a short show. It's just like four games, <laughs> we'll roll through it, and here we are about to be an hour. Uh, um, yes. USA-Spain preview to come as well. Oh, boy. All right. <laughs> we can do it. We can do it. Um, what, what did you make of this game? Because I found it really interesting, but also at the end of it, regular time, I was sort of like, I don't know if I understand anything that's happened in this it game. It wasn't fully entertaining, mm-hmm. right, in a weird way. I yeah. think it might be because the two teams played 4-4-2, yep. and it felt like... I don't know, like no one ever established like um, uh, numerical superiority. No, no one sort of uh, overloaded one side mm-hmm. or made made things happen that way. Like, yeah, maybe that's the maybe that's the reason. I think so. I and, a hard game to understand. And I, and I and I feel like that was not the smartest decision from France because I think they've looked. I mean, obviously they win, so yeah, whatever. But I, I do think that losing uh, Tine as a more like central. Like third central midfielder, like in the kind of if you go with the usual four two three one of like yeah. Andre and Busalia and then Tine ahead of them, yeah. I think that gives you 
a lot more presidents, you've got the passing triangle. Then you've got, uh, like, say, if you wanted to go with Gianni and uh, Eugene Le Samer out wide, that yep. gives you uh, Govan up top. And then you've kind of got, I think, a shape that really works because you've got numbers in the middle, you've got counterattacks out wide, and you've got a very good, strong attacker up top. And it seemed like by kind of changing that shape, it gave Brazil more time on the ball. And also, I felt like put France into more of 1v1 situations. I just What stands out to me is the first 15 minutes or so, Marta was just doing work. She and, was. And I think part of that was because she kept getting herself into isolated situations where I back Marta in one-on-ones and she backs herself as well. Yeah. So it seemed like— She was a joy to watch. Yeah, right? Even though she, she lost this was. game, every time she was on the ball, you kind of thought, oh, anything could happen here. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it was, it, and that made it very fun, but it also sort of changed the way I thought the game was going to go because it became more open at times than I expected it to be, but yeah. then also a little bit more like long balls and sort of direct plays and less like patient buildup. But the real difference maker mm-hmm. wasn't Marta. Mm-mm. It was Gianni. It was. It was Gianni. So number 11, she played up front, but she drifted to the right wing quite a lot. So maybe that's the one sort of overload yeah. that France would, would try. Mm-hmm. And... I'm going to say both goals and the disallowed goal mm-hmm. are all Johnny running down that right wing. You are correct. I you, am correct. Yeah, right? you're absolutely correct. And and I uh, backed uh, uh, Delphine Cascarino heading into this tournament as yeah. being the kind of breakout player on that right wing. She for started France. the tournament, right? She did. I think uh, as Johnny sort of. I mean, Johnny. I know she played center forward yep. slash right wing, but mm-hmm. she. Uh, She's definitely taken that spot from Cascarino, right? And also has justified it with this game. Yes, yes. to your point, yes, involved in all three moves. <laughs> okay, so can we talk about the, the disallowed goal first? Sure. So this is, Johnny like, is, I think, 1v3 mm-hmm. down, in the, down in the right-hand corner, manages to somehow get to the end line, mm-hmm. put this cross in, and Govan collides with uh, goalkeeper Barbara, mm-hmm. and the ball goes in the back of the net. Yep. And then Govan collapses to the floor in yep. a quite worrying moment, right? Yep. I was surprised that she was okay, right? In mm-hmm. the end, she got up, she was fine. Um this got VAR'd a lot. Yep. And what the really interesting thing to me here is that I think you saw what the referee was looking for. Because mm-hmm. you saw, she, she looked at the big picture VAR, but then you saw her, she got like a dial essentially mm-hmm. to wind back and forth, right? When she goes over to the monitor. And you could see her checking, does Barbara have possession of the ball? And the answer seemed to be no. Yep. She's got two hands on it, but never fully. And I think the second angle, which is from behind the goal, yep. she was checking, I think, was it, Handball by yeah. Govan, or was it ahead, or mm-hmm. was it something else? Yes, uh, yeah, I would, I would agree with all that. I would disagree with your, with the way you described it as uh, Govan collides with Barbara, because I would say it was, it felt to me very much the other way around. Okay, but I think Barbara comes aggressively off her line, and Govan is making a legal play in my opinion, yeah. which I think is also why that collision isn't called. And I also agree she doesn't have control, but I also don't agree with the official. I don't think she handballs this, or I don't think it's enough of a clear and obvious handball that this goal should have been disallowed. All right. You're using clear and obvious because mm-hmm. that's the, the language that people use for when VAR is used in the field, but mm-hmm. that's, not the, that's not the law for when they do a goal check. No, but it should be the law for when you're reversing a goal. I yeah. think it should be very obvious as, as to whether or not an infraction yeah, occurred, and, even, and I don't think it's very obvious. And even you and I sat here and watched it, what, 20 times here in studio yeah. and didn't fully agree. Like, I still think maybe it may be a little like punch on the ball yeah. from Govan, or it may be... Um, the top of her shoulder. Mm-hmm. I honestly can't tell because it's it, and we're we're seeing what the ref's seeing, mm-hmm. right? And it's a little bit blurry. Yep. It's not it's not perfectly defined. And our, you know our TV feed is good, yeah. um, and her TV feed is good. But at, at some point, you can't quite get enough detail to tell is that the hand or is that the uh, is that the shoulder? Yeah, and we've had moments where like we've freeze framed and gone through like frame by frame to see what happened. And it is the case that you can freeze a sequence like at one moment, and it looks like oh that was definitely a handball, yeah. and then you do it like three more 
like frames and it's like, oh, no, wait, no, that definitely wasn't. And yeah. that's also part of it is like what specifically are you looking at and when? Because I take your point. There were moments when I was like, oh, maybe she does handball it. Yeah. But then we would watch it again and I'd say, like, oh, but no, I think it's her shoulder. You can set the jersey move a little bit. And so I, what, what it says to me is that if the goal – is scored in the like run of play, and it's not necessarily like clear what happened in there. I don't understand why it then gets. Reversed. So you think when? So you think when they because they VR mm-hmm. every goal, right? They to do. check for any incidents. Mm-hmm. So you think if there's not like if there's a thing where the referee has to see it a thousand times and isn't even fully convinced it's a yep. handball, maybe she shouldn't overrule it. Yes, because there's not enough evidence. It's almost like in a court of law, right? Yep. It's got to be what's the phrase. Um, Oh, uh, beyond a reasonable doubt. Yes, beyond it's got yes. to be beyond a reasonable doubt. Yeah, <laughs> should we leave that pause in or edit it out? <laughs> we can tighten it up. <laughs> <laughs> the pause was real, right. but yeah, beyond a reasonable doubt would be a good um, sort of uh, yeah. bar for you have to for you to have to. Yes, so yeah. I think this is strangely we could have yeah. done with your wife here. Maybe I've said this three times. We could have. <laughs> she was here earlier. Uh, maybe I could have. I feel like I maybe I've said this a couple times, but I think this is the first time that I've been like, ooh, VAR. I do not agree with that choice. Yeah, but. Doesn't really matter. Game continues. France do we're still, eventually. We're still no no here, right? We are. France eventually <laughs> do uh, get the go ahead goal, and it is Galvan this time, and it's Gianni mm-hmm. again. So she, re- I can't remember who plays it to her, but she receives this ball down the right, and does she do like a? It doesn't matter who plays it to her because it's all Gianni. <laughs> it is right. It's like yeah. she receives with her back to it and almost receives and spins at the same time, yep. and then off she goes down the line. It is a wonderful bit of play. Yes, it is because she then is able to also like turn the corner at a very tight angle yeah. that it goes from like, oh, she's going to get to the end line and cross to if you're a Brazilian defender, oh, she might dribble in and take a shot on goal. So I think then you have kind of everybody taking their eye off runners into the box and focusing yeah, yeah, yeah. more so on Gianni. And I think that's why, at least partially, why Govan is able to be wide open. But I think it's also that maybe she slips a little bit and that's weirdly yeah. fortuitous. Yeah, how do you explain this? So she's, she's making... This is as Gianni is about to play the ball in. Right? Yes. Yeah. Uh, Govan is making a near post run and loses her footing a little bit. I think it's her left foot like slide out in front and she corrects and it's a credit to her that not only does she correct but she's immediately alive to how the play has developed and instead makes a back post run her mark had moved to cut out the near post ball back post is still open and then Govan does a very good job getting it's one of those goals where it's just get any body part to it and she's able to get some part of her leg leg at it she took her leg off and threw it at it exactly But that's all that matters because it puts it in the side netting. Maybe it was all, maybe it was all a big fake. Maybe the falling over was just all part of Govan's exactly. plan. Exactly. Yeah. It's all part of the plan. <laughs> all part of the plan. I didn't realize this, but Brazil equalized just 11 minutes later. Mm-hmm. In the 63rd minute, it's Taysa has yep. the ball in the back of the net. Or does this, she? This is another one that yep. is uh, pulled back for VR to check. What is it? To check whether Dabinha is offside or not? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Dabinha goes down the left, uh, puts a nice cross in. Mm-hmm. Is it Wendy Renard gets yes. a sort of half clearance to mm-hmm. it? She's basically trying to cut it out for the ball at the near post. Gets an in-step to it, but cuts it right back to Taisa, who's then able to finish unmarked, basically, from 12 yards out. Did this goal feel to you like it just came against like against expectations? Yes. Yeah, yeah it, it really felt like after France had scored, oh, yes. France is going to roll. It did. Yeah. It, it did feel that way. And I'll say it did feel sort of, uh, as the game went on, felt more and more like France was going to find a way to win. I thought they would find a way in regular time. And then I definitely thought they'd find a way in extra time because it did feel like Brazil started to do like a bit more fouling and to look a little bit more stretched. Yeah. And I, it, meanwhile, it felt like France were really starting to... I think sense that there was an opportunity and really going for it. And I would say my best example of that is that they score a goal one minute into the second part of extra time. It <laughs> yeah. feels like maybe they really seized on their moment. Before we get to that goal, mm-hmm. I do just want to um, to stay on this Tysa goal for a second. Sure. Because this is going to be controversial, so it's my turn to rant now. Mm-hmm. Prepare yourself. 
this is an example of the late flag for offside yep. being a good thing. That's right. People hate it because it lets a play develop that is going to come to nothing because it's going to be offside. But the reason they do it is in case the um, assistant referee has made a mistake, mm-hmm. right? So this re- the assistant referee believes that Dabinia is offside when she receives the ball down the left, mm-hmm. doesn't put her flag up until after the ball is in the back of the net. Then she signals offside, but then it gets checked and mm-hmm. we find that the AR was incorrect. Right. So this is an example of if we'd gone with the old rules that assistant referee would have raised her flag immediately on Dabinia mm-hmm. and that th- this play would have been called dead before the ball even got crossed into the box, right? So yeah. Tater would not have got this goal. Right. But then also, aren't there the sequences where you're supposed to just let it happen if it's a marginal offside and then let VAR call it back afterwards if the player was indeed offside? Yeah. So I guess I just feel like, but I'm still sort of confused about when the AR is supposed to put the flag in the air and when they're not. Just right at the end of the play. So right. they're supposed to put their flag in the air after the whole play has happened. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? So that... So that there's no nothing big. But if every if, but if every goal is going to be VAR'd, then why put the flag in the air? Because if it's already happened and it's already going to be taken, signal a look that at you it, think it's offside. You're still part of the refereeing crew. Yeah, I guess so. But you just like, want to do away with ARs and just have it all done by VAR. No, I mean, like think about what I'm saying here for a moment. If if the if it's going to be VAR'd no matter what, because it's a goal. Yeah. Then putting your flag in the air, like it's it's telling them, yeah, go look at the thing you're already going to look at. Like that's where I get confused. Is like. What's I guess they're the just signaling what they think happened. They're yeah. saying, I think it's offside, right? Yeah. And then you can, they can take that into account or not. Yeah. And they can prove you wrong with video. The computer doesn't care about your flag. That's all I have to <laughs> the say. The computer doesn't care about your feelings. It does not. <laughs> it does not. Oh, mm-hmm. well, Marjorie doesn't care about your feelings earlier. She does not. Because she crosses a mean, mean ball. Um, in the 106 minute, mm-hmm. France get the winner. It's Gianni again, intercepts a Brazilian pass. Mm-hmm. Dribbles down the wing. This time she gets fouled, right? She gets she, pulled back. Yep. She gets pulled back because, I mean, if I was Brazil, I'd be pulling her back. I'd be terrified of Johnny running at me. I think it was Andre Senior who subbed on. Uh, w- was a like relatively fresh set of legs, but yeah. still has to pull Johnny back because Johnny gets uh, <laughs> gets some space. There's no legs fresh enough to, to stop her. Nah. <laughs> and Marjorie mm. sends in this uh, cross from the free kick. Uh, sorry, not Marjorie. Marjorie. I was wondering. Yeah, yeah. I just mispronounced. Um, and Amandine Henry, French mm-hmm. captain, is on the end of it. Mm-hmm. Yes. And it's a great finish from Amandine Henri sliding in in step she's definitely aiming for where she puts the ball it's not just getting a foot on the yeah, end yeah. of it I think she's definitely making the a play the opposite of Gavan right? and it's especially indeed and it's especially impressive because I think Monica is at this point realizing oh no I'm beaten and this is not good does Monica so make a quick attempt yeah. to grab her and does she even does she give up or does she just not get there? I think she lets go I think she tries to do the like I'm gonna t- like tug the jersey to put yeah. you off a little bit but not enough that maybe it's definitely gonna be a penalty I see she but just it, wants a bit of distraction in yes this. yeah but I also think uh, we've had moments to criticize Monica in this tournament. I would say this is not one of them because I think I, the I issue... Mean, I did it on first watch. I texted you because mm-hmm. we didn't watch this game together. We watched it mm-hmm. separately. I texted, oh, Monica. Yep. And I responded, think it's Beatrice. <laughs> and it is. Because Beatrice, uh, the forward for Brazil, she just breaks the offside line. She drops maybe a yard or two too early. Yeah. She's tracking Les Omer, who, I, I mean, yes, is an, is an incredibly good goal scorer, but I don't think of as being like a particularly threatening aerial like attacker right so i'm not sure if maybe that's just the moment getting to beatrice but yes yeah, she breaks the line so then Henri is not only onside but also onside and goal side and able to just kind of and then, uh, beat monica there and monica has held the offside yep. line and that's why Henri's the other side of mm-hmm. it right so it actually isn't monica's fault it is not oh. it is not but a game that seemed like maybe it was going to go to penalties even though i did not think it would ends with france getting the win and advancing to the next round oh, where yeah. they will likely maybe possibly meet the united states if they're able to get past Spain. Or Spain, yeah. Mm-hmm. So France will play the US or Spain in the sort of 
It's almost like the prophesized quarterfinal. It is. It is. <laughs> Before we preview that, mm. uh, today's it's show. Weird. It, we, it's weird. It never, I feel like it doesn't ever really happen in tournaments that it all ends up going, going the way it went with like the two favorites yeah, that yeah. they play when they're supposed well, to. let's not jinx it just yet because mm-hmm. the U.S. still has to play Spain, That's remember? Right. That's right. <laughs> yeah. 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 Eh. Okay. Today's yeah. show is sponsored by mm-hmm. our friends at FBREF.com, the football reference site, the sports reference site. Mm. At FBREF.com, they have a Women's World Cup entire stats page where you mm. can dig into all kinds of World Cup stats. Arby's has the meats. They have the stats. <laughs> I've got stats to share with you. Have you got, you got stats to share with I me? I do. Do you want me to go first? Sure. So I took a look at not just top scorers, mm-hmm. but top scorers still in the tournament. Mm-hmm. So right now... Alex Morgan yep. is the top scorer in this tournament with five goals. Um, Sam Kerr is level with her mm-hmm. with five goals. I think Sam Kerr probably won't score any more goals this she tournament. She will not. I think. Morgan also has three assists, yeah. right? So if things ended as they were right now, I believe Morgan would get the golden boot mm-hmm. because assist is yep. the tiebreaker, right? Sam Kerr can't catch her. Christiane has four. She is now out. Mm-hmm. Christiane can't catch her. Ellen White has four goals Get out of here, Ellen for White. England. Ellen White with the famous mm-hmm. um, Anthony Modeste. The spectacles, uh, bespectacled celebration. Ellen White has four goals and is still alive in this tournament. After that, it's Wendy Renard, mm-hmm. Sarah De Brutz, uh, Christiana Girelli, and Carly Lloyd mm-hmm. all on three goals. That's who's chasing Alex Morgan. All right. Yeah. Well, speaking of some French players there, uh, I looked at minutes played in the tournament so far, and I noticed there are four French players who have played every minute of every game in this tournament so far. Can you guess who they are? Wendy Renard? Yes. Um, the goalkeeper whose name mm-hmm. is escaping me right now? Buhari. 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 Yeah, uh-huh. That's what I was going to say. Yep. If um, Wendy Renard has played every game, then who else has probably played every game? Mbak? Yep. Mm-hmm. Okay. And that leaves one more. Ooh, did Amandine Henri play every game? She played every single game. Yes. You what are do correct. I, what do I win? Uh, just my respect. Uh, and also, I'll take it. Yeah, I didn't they, know I had it. <laughs> Eh, maybe you don't. I don't know. Now, now that you say you, now that you say that you wanted it, I'm not sure. I'm not sure you can have it anymore. <laughs> I see. I see. And for the United States, there's only one player who's played every minute so far. That would be Alyssa Nair. Of course it is. Can you guess the player who's come the closest to that? Dal Kemper. You are correct. Well yeah. done, my friend. Two hundred and sixty-two. I've, I mean, I've been watching all the games. Two hundred and seventy possible minutes. <laughs> so go to fbref.com. Hey, quizzes on the fly can be challenging. It depends who you are. fbref.com is where you can get all your stats. Mm-hmm. There's also the great Stats Head newsletter. You can subscribe to the newsletter if you click on the link in the navbar. There we are. So thank you very much to FBref for sponsoring today's episode. Yeah. One more thing to do, Mr. Grove, and that's yes. preview the USA's game of Spain. So I was talking all arrogant just about mm-hmm. um, how I can answer questions. Uh-huh. Should the US be arrogant and confident going into this game against Spain? Confident is one thing. Yes. yes. Arrogant is another. No, they should be arrogant. Okay, let's yeah. just be confident then. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. And they should because why, why they've is justified that? it so far. I mean, I think that's right. I, I, there were, if you want to nitpick a performance and say like, oh, well, this pass didn't happen or the United States looked slow here or they could have done this against Sweden, that's fine. You can do that. But were I people feel, nitpicking the 2-0 win over Sweden? Oh, yeah. Yeah, there, there, there was definitely some moments where the United States like had some counterattacks or allowed some counterattacks for Sweden or was a little sloppy in possession or a few passes didn't come off. And I think, I think because it was the first test, I think nerves were high. And so I think... For fans, that, not for players, though. Yeah, that's definitely <laughs> true. Um, but I, I think the U.S. has justified it. I think they've looked sharp. They've, I thought maybe they might have some difficulty scoring in the first game because Thailand were going to be compact. That was not the case. Uh-uh. I thought they would maybe have some difficulty getting goals against Chile. They did it, and then they kind of backed off, I think, a little bit because they were, I think, resting. They then, because they kind of changed up the lineup for Chile, they rested players. Now they're fully fit against Sweden. But if Sweden rested players, but I think the United States have kind of back themselves and justified the hype every single time so far. So what are we up against in Spain? You mm-hmm. and I, um, we've watched every Spain game yep. so far, the three group stage games. Mm-hmm. Um, 
what I didn't remember until going back and looking at the stats is that they haven't scored in their last two games. They have not. All I their goals, that yeah. all their goals came in the three-one win over South Africa. Two of those were penalty kicks, yep. and one of those was when South Africa were down to ten players, and the left back played everybody like twenty yards onside. And after the second penalty had happened, I think there was like very little time left. So I think it's also South Africa pushing forward to try to find a late right. equalizer because why not? Right. And yeah. so then in the game against mm-hmm. Germany, they lost 1-0. Against yep. China, they tied 0-0. And I think the problem we've seen with Spain mm-hmm. is they are not particularly decisive no. when they get into the box. Yes. Yeah? I would say, and if you want to take that one step further, I would say they're a little overly elaborate at times. Yes. That it feels like they're trying to find the very clear shooting opportunity yeah. rather than kind of taking the shooting opportunity from a decent like distance because uh-huh. as I said in the uh, the ad break last week for FB Ref that they tend to take a lot of shots from distance from outside the box but not getting a lot on target to me suggests that maybe they're not getting themselves into good shooting positions and are yeah. instead waiting and waiting and waiting and then it doesn't quite come off. So my image of Spain mm-hmm. is uh, Jennifer Omoso or either of the two Garcias getting into the mm-hmm. box and then taking almost like they're back to a defender and they're taking loads of touches and almost playing some futsal rolling mm-hmm. their foot on top of the ball but never quite creating a real like clear scoring chance mm-hmm. right and I almost think like Jennifer Moso is absolutely their star player right and she has a certain style of play which is a lot of touches and she's very hard to dispossess but I think almost that seems to have spread around the team like that's become the team style mm-hmm. this possession 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 it's almost like um Arsene Wenger's Arsenal when they're at their worst in terms of trying to score the perfect goal. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) Without the cutting edge. And I think one way, as uh, Troy Deeney taught us, to beat Arsenal is to (laughs) go at them and make them kind of get nervous and maybe knock them around a little bit. And I do think that's kind of what the United States should do. Knock them around a little bit? All right. I I think the United States should be aggressive from the first whistle. I think that if they go at Spain... As we talked about, Spain take a few extra touches, even not necessarily just in like in around the like the defenders' box, but further back on the field. And I think the United States can put Spain under pressure early and often, and I think that will lead to either some long balls that the U.S. can easily collect, or some turnovers, and the United States can capitalize upon. I so there is an argument that like if Spain are like so toothless, like they mm-hmm. love possession, but they're kind of toothless. There's an argument that the U.S. should sit a little deep let them come in, and then hit them on the counter. Mm-hmm. And I, honestly, I could see making the case for that game plan. I cannot see the US taking a non-proactive game plan. I agree. Just because of the the attitude and the swagger that th- these players have had over the, the first few games, there's no way it's not just, we're going to press you high, we're going to win the ball off yeah. you, we're going to possess, we're not even going to let you have the ball. Yeah, because the only argument I could make... You're not allowed to interject because you're going to then be like, well, this is obvious, but I want to say the obvious part. The only thing I could say is that maybe like you do that, you sit off a little bit because against maybe France, you're not going to be able to be as aggressive and all over them. You are going to have to sit back a little bit more. So maybe you want a little bit of preparation, but then you are literally looking past Spain to your next opponent, <laughs> which is not a thing we want to see done. Was that the obvious part? That you yes. Do? <laughs> um, how about um, how about lineups then? Mm-hmm. So uh, Julia was apparently not... I think the United States should play 11 players for sure. Well, there's the, for the, sure. You know the obvious question I'm going to ask you, right? Yeah. So in the in the previous game against yep. Sweden, Julius wasn't fully fit. Mm-hmm. And so Sam Muir steps in. Lindsay Horan goes to that like central defensive midfielder spot. Mm-hmm. There's definitely like, basically 12 players who deserve to start for the US. Yep. And there's only 11 spots. So mm-hmm. who loses out? Is it Sauerbrunn, Dalkamper, Hertz, Muis, Horan, Lavelle? Uh, let me think here for a moment. Because I think that what the United States there's, has... There's no correct answer, by the way. I, that, yeah. But I think what the United States has done so far in this tournament is rest players without saying we're resting them. So I think Sauerbrunn, we talked about this in the game against Thailand. I think they thought, we probably don't need to play a like 70% Becky Sauerbrunn. We'll wait till yeah. she's fully fit. But we don't want to say we're resting players in case this doesn't go well. I think they probably did that against Sweden as well. They didn't want to say 
were resting Julie Ertz, so it was instead she picked up a minor knock. She looked just fine in warm-ups. Do you think the injuries are just like, hey, a bit of rotation? I think it's, a, yeah, a little bit of rotation, a little bit of preventative like uh, steps, but yeah. then it's also not wanting to say, yeah, we rested Julie Ertz against Sweden in case that backfires. So gotcha. I think, and, Ju- and Jill Ellis has said, I think when asked about it, she said Alex is fine, Julie is fine. Oh, because Alex Morgan came off at half-time, yes. right, in that Sweden game? Yes, yeah. so it, it does, I guess, come down to who's in that midfield. I mean, maybe it's... Uh, Sauerbrunn sits and Julie Ertz starts there. There's a lot of maybes, but I have a feeling Jill Ellis will go back to her Lindsey Horan, Julie Ertz, Rose Lavelle midfield. Yeah. I think that's a shame because Sam Ewis was so good against Sweden and had the kind of like passing eye and was able to find those chances and find those opportunities. But maybe that's where you bring her on if Spain are a little bit yeah. more tired and if you want to try to kind of exploit that as a result. I constantly forget this with a starting mm-hmm. eleven conversation is that you get to make subs. Yep. Right? You're not like saying Sam Ewis is excluded from this game. She doesn't start this game. She can come on at half time, she mm-hmm. can come on in the sixtieth minute and have a massive impact on this game. Just because you don't start doesn't mean you're not going to make an impact in the game. This is true. Yeah. I, I will expect the kind of standard front three we've seen of yeah. Heath, uh, Morgan, and Rapino. Yep. I didn't think Megan Rapino had her best game against Sweden. I felt like her delivery wasn't as sharp as we've seen. I think she also struggled to get into the game at times or right. stay in the game at times. Counterpoint doesn't matter because she's Megan Rapino and she's going to be showing up for the big round of 16 game. And that was my point. See, this is why I tell you not to interject so you know these <laughs> things. Yeah, because I was going to say I, and I'm expecting a big response from her and that's what I want to see is sort of Megan Rapino. Reminding everybody that she's Megan Rapinoe, yeah. a la Keith Hernandez. <laughs> On the other side, I thought mm-hmm. Tobin Heath was quite effective against Sweden. She was often outnumbered, sort of like Johnny. She was a lot of times 1v3, yep. and she still found time to, or found room to get some sort of cross in almost every single time, or at least win a corner kick. Yes. I have a feeling Tobin Heath is going to be spending a lot of time getting knocked over and being frustrated, uh, but still getting the call. I, I think <laughs> Tobin Heath is going to take some fouls. Spain do not shy away from challenges. Uh, I forget, uh, I think uh, Lucia Garcia, I think, has seven fouls over the three games. Yeah. I think at Tobin Heath. My guess is that's after being dispossessed. Yes, but that could, could, that. That could well be. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I think Tobin Heath is probably going to get knocked around a lot, but I still want to see Tobin Heath going at people and causing problems. Anything special you think the U.S. should do, like man Marco Moso or anything like that? No, I don't think so, because I think then you are sort of really adjusting what you're trying to do. And I think anytime you're doing your plan 99%, but changing it up 1%, it's still yeah. change. And I don't know if that's necessarily the best approach versus... I'm not saying, like, again, I'm not trying to say be arrogant and just go at Spain and destroy them. But I think if you have the front foot from the minute, from the first minute and you're challenging Spain and you're putting them on the defensive and putting them on their heels, I think that's yeah. the better game plan than sort of sitting off and seeing what Spain tried to do. I mean, if we can prove early on that your possession game doesn't work yeah. against against our press, yep. then not Christian press, but yeah, exactly. the press, then suddenly I think that's going to worry Spain. Yeah, it's it? the tactic of, like, attack the strongest point, and if you break the yeah. strongest point then they're pretty much broken. <laughs> All right, well, that's the plan then. There you go. So we will be back tomorrow to review, to review USA versus Spain. Like and the British Navy did way back when? I guess they did, There yeah, you go. With Elizabeth, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so USA she versus... She did it. Queen Elizabeth and her... I'm, I know they weren't around then, but I'm going to say it anyway. Queen Elizabeth and her corgis. That was actually who did it. She, the, yeah. Is that the original corgis? Yeah, the, that's why the Navy was so good, because the corgis were so cute, but vicious. Oh, okay. So nobody wanted to fight them, but then they went for the ankles. It's definitely late here, isn't it? It is. <laughs> okay, so tomorrow, it's Spain versus the US at noon, mm-hmm. and it's Sweden versus Canada at 3 p.m. We'll have reviews of both of those games out 
Monday evening. Mm-hmm. Sound fair? It does. All right. <laughs> I'm slightly concerned that you know me so well to the point where you're like, oh boy. <laughs> We've, it's, it's like gremlin style that if we get, start recording past 11 o'clock, yeah, yeah. suddenly there's trouble for me. Don't feed us coffee after 9 p.m. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. Taylor Rockwell, thank you for taking the time, all the time, mm-hmm. to talk to me this evening. Avoid the corkies. Listeners, thank you for listening and we'll be back again tomorrow. Tomorrow.